Not that I haven't been known to complain a little bit from time to time, but not on this occasion. Um, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a portion of verse 8. The, uh, <clears throat> for those of you that uh, read Spurgeon, his morning and evening commentary, you're going to recognize this as being the morning and evening commentary for December 30th of last year. Uh, it was while reading that and contemplating on actually some matters that had been preached and taught on, something that had been, been on my heart about um, Christian service, that I decided um, to begin to work up a message to study this out. Uh, that was before I was asked to, to, uh, to preach. But as I, as I got that uh, call from the pastor, I decided this is the message I wanted to do because it means a lot to me. I hope it means a lot to you. Um, we'll be looking at actually two, two uh, uh, portions of Scripture um, as we go into this. And again, Brother Spurgeon uses this format quite often in his uh, teaching and preaching. He'll sometimes take a snip out of a verse or phrases and then he'll develop it into something for personal application. I always I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I like the opportunity then to go in and do word studies. As Pastor Demo, Pastor Humphrey, they lean on word studies. Words are important. Words paint pictures, pictures that can, can stay with us as we go along through life, pictures that will mean something to us on down the line, pictures that we won't throw away, put into the attic, Pictures that will stay in our heart and mind and will carry with them with us all the time. Because we need the truths that are found in this book. We're commanded to, to, to store up his word. In our, thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we need to do that. And we need to hear and heed the things that God has for us. So, if you're in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8. Of course, I'm in Psalms. It says there, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll continue. Wonderful God, I just pray that you'd uh, calm my heart, calm my soul in this moment in time as I come before you, even as that little boy just wanting to be in the presence of his father and to know his favor. I thank you, God, for this church that you've raised up uh, for me, for, for us, those members of this body, to we can receive strengthening, encouraging, protection, that we can receive the, the Word of God uh, from faithful men as our pastors. Lord, that we could have a home base to come to in the times of storm. Lord, that we could have a God that, uh, that knows it cares for us as individuals and has raised up uh, his word, your word to be a, a lighthouse and a bastion for us, a place we can always go to receive comfort and instruction in correction in times, Lord, and uh, evermore encouragement. Humbly pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, it says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. As I meditated on this verse, I thought of how this might relate to my own spiritual service, for I don't want to end up at the end of my life as a Demas who started out well 
working shoulder to shoulder with Apostle Paul and ending poorly. We know from 2 Timothy 4.10 that the Bible says, Therefore Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Forsake means to, to turn your back on or to desert. And that is what Paul said he did. It's hard to picture uh, a faithful servant of God that had been mentioned in the Bible and a worker with Paul of doing that, yet that's what's chronicled here. And you know, in myself, in different times, times past, I'd looked upon it as when it says he'd given himself up to this, this present world, about that maybe he'd given himself up to wine, women, and song, and just gone on with, you know, with the urges of the flesh. But I don't think that that's necessarily so. Having read some other commentaries, one, one commentary, com commentator especially piqued my interest when he said that he thought that perhaps what had happened was that he had just grown fearful. Certainly you know the things that this man Demas experienced, Paul, you know, Paul experienced, Demas also uh, experienced also some of those things. They were met on the way many times in, by the, by the, by the uh, disbelieving Jews, Romans, uh, angry people of the Greeks that were, that were willing to, to take them out and get rid of them because they were preaching a philosophy, a teaching they didn't want to hear. And it may very well have been that that's what caused Demas one day. The fear of the outside, the fear of his life, to walk away. Um, you think, how could that be? Well, um, we don't know yet the pressures that was on those men in their service for the Lord. But it's very, very possible that we will. Especially for you of the younger generations, we know that I am firmly believe that the clock is ticking to the time of the Lord's coming. How soon that is, I will not prognosticate. But... It's a lot closer than it was in the, in the days of my youth, and I believe that that clock is ticking faster and faster, that the sand is running out of the hourglass, and the day is going to come when believers are going to be taken out of this world, the tribulation is going to begin, <clears throat> and ultimately we'll have opportunity to serve God in the millennial times. That's to come. Well, when you consider... The example of our Savior and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as awesome as his miracles were, the birth of his, uh, his very birth, his teaching, his preaching, and his sinless perfect life, even more so was the end of his life, wasn't it? For without his death, burial, and resurrection, where would we be today as believers? Where would we, would we be without the shed blood sacrifice of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we would be without hope. The, fulfillment, the scripture that he had prophesied would never have been fulfilled. That we could know the propitiation of our sins, that we could know the final, the final death knell had been brought upon sin and death and hell for those who believe. And so... <clears throat> I looked at that in my life, I look at that in Demas' life, I look at that in Paul's life. Paul, faithful to the end, went through much in his life, 
Think how, how strong and how firm his testimony was right up until the time that he died in that Mamertine prison. And consider, if Jesus had led a sinless, perfect life and had not gone to the cross, where would we be? Well, we'd be without that finishing work that his father had sent him to do, that he had called him to do. Um, we would have no hope for eternity, but if the truth is he did run that good race, he did fight that good fight, even to the very end, and so must we. So must we. Because better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Jesus said in John 4:34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. His meat, his very life, his very being, he had sunk and put all in to the work of his Father. To bring redemption into this world. To walk that sinless, perfect life. To be an example to every individual so that when, when he challenges us to be holy as I am holy, we have the example in him. A living, breathing, walking man, the Son of God, who came to be with us that we could know God in this life, God in, this, in the future, that he's the God of heaven and earth and all it is. The primary focus in Jesus' life wasn't to fulfill the needs of the flesh, but to do the will of his Father, and that he acted out faithfully. We know that right to the very uh, to the very cross, when he hung on the cross between those two thieves, his witness had already gone out to both of those men. They both knew who he was. They had both heard of his teaching and preaching. One said no, and he chose to die a sinner's death. He made that choice to say no to the revelation that God had given him. One man, the other man, the other thief on the cross, he knew, said, this man is not guilty of anything. We are, we're guilty, he is not. And it was to that man that repented that his end was, he ended up in paradise. The latter end of one to hell, the latter end of another to heaven. And it's good to remember that we're on, a, on from the timeline, time that we entered into the timeline of eternity. From the time you're born into this existence, in this physical plane, the soul and spirit that you carry along, we carry along in this body is destined for one spiritual destination or the other, heaven or hell. There's no two ways about it. And Paul, he commented much on the need for dedication in Christian service and several times he used the analogy of athletic competition to picture it. Indeed, he may have witnessed the games that were held in Corinth while he ministered there. There were also games that were held in Delphi, Nemea, and the well-known Olympic Games. And much emphasis was put on running races uh, for those who were fleet and nimble had advantage in war. And also those that, that competed in wrestling, also it aided them in self-defense and in warfare. A lot of those days it was, it was not 
long distance warfare, it was up, up front and close and personal, sword and spear. Last Wednesday, Miss Kathy reminded us of the spiritual warfare we as Christians are engaged in. This is according with Ephesians chapter 6, where we admonish to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. <clears throat> the spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, uh, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, were given and are issued to each and every Christian that's born into his forever family. Christians are saved to serve. We're saved to minister. We're saved to soldier for our God. For he no longer is on this earth skirmishing with the, for the souls of men as he did in his lifetime, but he has raised up his church and Christians to do that witnessing. In verse 12, he gives another reference to the Grecian games when he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, wrestling is a close contact sport. It requires strength. It requires endurance. And in that same way, in the spiritual warfare that we're about, it involves close contact with the people that are around us. To be prepared to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the faints. To earnestly contend for the, faints that, for the saints, that were, the faith that was once delivered to us. You know... <clears throat> It's, it's all for the souls of men. All for the souls of men. To be prepared, that soldier receives training. You know, there's training camp going on in our church, starting with those little ones they are in training camp. Do you understand that? I know you Sunday school teachers do, and you appreciate the position that you have and the precious uh, calling that God has given you to begin to minister to those young souls. Those young souls that are one day going to become accountable for their sin, that one day are going to be offered up for judgment to heaven or hell, depending upon their reaction to believing on the gospel of Christ. And so that's what, that's what we're doing when we're, when we're in serious competition against Satan and his rulers, against the world, against the flesh. You know, there's so much that Paul said about discipline, discipline and dedication. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We need to dis discipline ourselves from the things we shouldn't do and discipline ourselves to do the things that we know to do. You know, and as I thought about this, I wrote, was writing this. Again, it says, the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God, but it doesn't say anything about taking it off. We don't have the luxury of the soldier that is able to go out in his combat gear, serve in combat, and at one time at the end of a mission, he can put the stuff up in his locker and he can go on until the next mission and he goes back out again. But it's not like that for you and me. We need to be outfitted wherever we go. Because, you know, Satan, 
Satan doesn't have to work very hard to hold the lost world in his hands. He doesn't oppose the world because he's already got them in his family. What he opposes is you and me, those of the New Testament church, those that can make a difference for the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he that, and his minions that, that we wrestle against. Again, that competition is not against the people out in the world, but for their souls, contending against the wickedness of the world and seeking to bring more people to Christ. Now, we are committed to run the good race and fight the good fight until we die, or for some of us older ones, until hopefully, you know, Matt might see the rapture. That'd be a wonderful thing. But I'm hoping to, you know, when I get home, I'll still have that armor on. You know, I hope it's polished up, but I hope it's all dented up. I hope that helmet's all beat up. I hope that that sword is still strong. I hope that that shield has got all kinds of dents and gouges in it, reflecting what I did for the Lord. That I was doing the best I could as a soldier to fight against wickedness and evil, to contend for the souls of this world. That, I could, that the Lord could say, you did something for me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter until I rest. Take that off and put it in the corner. You're never going to need it again. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The Bible says, Be not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. So let get after it. You're in the race, on your mark, get ready, get set, go. <clears throat> it says that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do, now they do, the world's people do, to obtain a corruptible crown, like those in the Olympics. You know, <clears throat> I, I don't watch that stuff anymore. I used to really like when I was a young man to watch the Olympic competitions, you know, the, the races and the shot put disc, disc, discus and so on, stuff like that, the, uh, and then the ice skating, stuff like that in the, in the Winter Olympics, the hockey. Well, that was something when the miracle on ice took place. That was something. But to me, it just, uh, it's, it's so much now, these people, it's all about themselves. You know, I mean, it's just medals and medals and fame, and they're professionals before they ever get on the Olympic venue, as far as I'm concerned. And so I don't hold much with that anymore. The, 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 the medals that they get, they can have them. But he says, Paul says, but we, an incorruptible crown, Remember when we go through that each and every believer, when we go through that refiner's fire, the judgment seat of Christ, the wood, the hay, and the stubble, that was the things that we did in our own strength, going to get burned up. But we should pray that there be that gold, silver, and precious stones that could be fashioned into those crowns, you know. And we could take that and place that before our Father's throne to honor Him, what He's done for us in our life.
That's an awesome thing. I can see myself, I just love to go toddling up there, put something down for my father's throne. To know his approval. What is a greater thing in this existence than, than to know the approval of God your father, God your savior? What are you shooting for in life? What are you shooting for in life? It's all going to go away. All this time, it's, it, we need to be working for him. We need to be shooting for that goal, that goal when we come home to end. And no matter what we go through in this existence, I know most of you have treasured lives. We have treasured lives in this existence. We saw the, we saw the, uh, in a third world country. He goes through more every day than you or I may see ever. But the day may come when we may experience many of the same things that he does, not have the freedom of movement, to have the resources, to be able to do everything that he would like to do, to not have the, 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 the safety. You know, they blew up part of the city that he lived in. But we need to be prepared for whatever come what may, and to know that at the end, God has prepared something for us, the faithful, Paul says, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I. Now there's reference to boxing. Boxers are out there too. They need to be on their guard. It's not, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached others, I myself also should be a castaway. We don't have to become an also ran. We want to be someone that counts for something at the end of that race. As we go through the, that, and we fight that good fight. That word uh, fight is pakuyo, it's to fight as a boxer. And a boxer needs to have his guard up all the time. Uh, I'll never forget the old, the, the match that George Foreman had years ago. He's 40 years old or something like that. He was fighting that young dude. I can't remember who it was. Sphinx or somebody, maybe, I can't remember. That guy was beating on old George pretty good, let me tell you. But then his guard down for one second, and George Foreman landed a right hand, and he went down. And he was ready. He was ready. He was in the battle every minute. He knew what he was doing. We need to know, too, that we're in the battle every minute. And we need to be prepared for the times and don't let the enemy get the advantage of us. Do not let our guard down that we can get taken out by Satan, by the works of the world. <clears throat> Two things stand out to me in this portion of Scripture that God desires of us in our Christian service, and that's dedication and discipline. Note, if you will, the descriptive use of the personal pronoun I in the verses 26 and 27. He says, I therefore so run. He's made a decision. Not as uncertainly, so fight I. I'm in the fight. I am in the battle. Not as one that beateth the air, but I. I. I keep myself, keep under my body. I'm under control. And I bring it into subjection. I'm not going to let the world, the flesh, and the devil have occasion with me. 
When I have preached unto others, I myself should be a castaway. He had made some choices to dedicate his, his life, and he disciplined himself from some things and to some things. He knew what he was in the world for, and that's what he was reaching for. That was what he was seeking to, to have at the end of his life when he got home. You know, when Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain, he absolutely meant that and he lived that. And that is how, what is exemplified in his whole of his ministry. Beatings, tortures, shipwrecks. Well, shake yourself off, dust yourself off, get another, let's go. He was right back at it right until the time of his death. Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore also we are also compassed, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so every one of us, every saved Christian, every believer, has a position in God's army. He's enlisted in this race to win that prize, the prize of the high calling of Christ, to hear from that heavenly Father one day from us that he's approved of the work that we have done in this life for him. And then the second portion of scripture we're gonna look at is from 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. It says, now, this has a little bit different thrust in it, but it does talk about an end. <clears throat> I'm just going to read the portion that's, that's cognizant to what I'm going to be talking about. But he said, knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? While I was primarily talking about in, this, in, the, in the first uh, the first verse, uh, verses that we looked at, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. I was primarily talking about believers. In this portion of scriptures, I'm looking at everything about the lost people because they have a latter end too, and it's not a good one. <clears throat> it says there, Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? The bitterness spoken of here is not just a bad taste in your mouth you get from uh, some nasty medicine or a really bad cup of coffee. No, we're talking about the anger, the hostility, the enmity that comes with having a lost relationship with Christ. It's the kind of bitterness that Paul uh, knew of, he wrote of, when he said of Simon the sorcerer, remember Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, he came along and he was walking with the apostles, with Paul. He had been a man that had been uh, doing so-called signs and wonders and so on to gain, to gain favor to make money with people. And when he saw that they were able to actually lay hands on people, Paul and, and uh, 
and the apostles, maybe it was Silas with him, I forget. He wanted that bad. He wanted it so that he could make money. And when Paul, when it came right down to it, Paul said to him in Acts 8.23, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He said, you're a lost man. That gall is sometimes talked about as being poison. And this bitterness has a, had an interesting uh, a nuance to it. I'm going to say, just take a little uh, rabbit trail. I don't do this very often. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. But, but uh, th this is very, very interesting to me because I like doing word studies. I've learned that from these men. I've learned it over the years. Get in the Bible. Do the, do the word studies. Study the roots of these words. Understand them. Very, very interesting. <clears throat> when it talks about this matter of, of bitterness, that word there... In, in the Greek is pikria. And <clears throat> back in the 18th century, scientists found a, uh, come up with an acid that they're able to precipitate into some granules and to crystals. And they, because, and because it, when they, It had a very, very bitter taste to it. They called it picric acid. And picric acid has a very interesting uh, uh, use. Uh, picric, pic, pic, picric acid, they found, was, uh, uh, was uh, highly unstable and, and explosive. And for several centuries, in the 18th, 19th century, into the 20th century, it was used as munitions in artillery pieces for land-based and naval-based artillery in using uh, <coughs> to, 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 to propel those shells. There was one thing about it, though, that and it's, it was known for its destructive power. It was more destructive, had more destructive power than TNT or dynamite. And so... You know, but I was thinking it was God knew about this. When he, when he wrote that in the Greek, he knew that on down time that, that men would name a substance using this word and that it would have terrible, terrible, destructive qualities. And he wants us to know and understand... It's okay. It's all under control. <laughs> but what he's saying here, and Pastor Upper is just talking about how we, when you sometimes you can paraphrase a verse. What it's talking about here is like that, Bryce receiveth thou art in poison and in destruction and in the bond of iniquity. Poison and destruction is what's in the end for the lost person. The latter end judgment day. The latter end when your life ends. With that last breath, the Bible says, appointed a man once to die, accounted once to die, and then the judgment. And you can say, not now, not today, but you don't know for sure. That's one of the things that went through my life up until the day that I was saved. <clears throat> I didn't know for sure 
You know, I'd seen some stuff in war. I saw some stuff, you know, I saw people killing themselves on the highways. But I knew, I didn't want to believe that that could be me, but I was never quite sure when I got up in the morning that if I was going to see the next day. Because I saw many people pass from this world, in my own father. Nine-year-old boy, milking cows with your dad in the morning, he was dead in the evening. Nobody knew. Nobody could knew big, tall, Ray Girth died. What's going to happen to everybody? Pastor Demelo read from Psalm 89 about the sureness of death. You can't escape it. And no man knows, as I've said, no man knows how much sand is in the hourglass of our life. Spurgeon wrote, this is a, there is a fearful meaning in these words. Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end for the lost person, wake up. That's what you look forward to. Poison and death, destruction at the end of your life. He said, if, if, O my reader, thou art merely a professor, but not a true possessor of the faith that is in Christ Jesus, the following lines are a true sketch of thine end. And then he enumerated some, some accounts of people that were coming to the end of their life, not knowing what was going to happen and the fear that they experienced. <clears throat> and I can, I can uh, testify of this. Um, when I, I started working for my cousin, a farmer, um, when I was 12, 13 years old, and I, was, I sat at Nile Girth and, and uh, June Girth's table dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And June Girth was about the sweetest lady you'd ever know. Always smiling, she was happy, she had four, four, four kids and uh, a husband that worked hard, they had a good home. But I remember <clears throat> I had left and I was up here and uh, she, no, it was, yeah, before I come up here, uh, that she contracted cancer and, uh, in the early 50s and she died very, very quickly. And they said about June Girth, they said that, that June was afraid to die. And I couldn't understand that because she was a good person. I couldn't imagine that, that someone would, would be fearful of death that had done everything right, that had a church, had family and everything. But it was right that she was fearful because as a, as a Protestant, without having heard the gospel, June Girth's probably in hell today, along with so many others that either didn't hear the gospel, but all, every one of them that rejected the revelation that God had given them. It's a serious thing, that latter end. Know, knowest thou not that it will be bitter, bitterness in the latter end. There's gonna be nothing good there for you, lost person, at the end of your life without Christ. For the lost person, it would do you well to take your mind from the sweetness of the life that you live or hope to live in this life and consider the end of it and the certain judgment for your sin to come and the awful bitterness that you will know in the blackness of hell. You need to consider your latter end, judgment day. 
Listen, it isn't enough to just having the Bible's, the words go in and out one ear. That's what my mom used to say about me sometimes. She'd tell me to do stuff and I wouldn't do it. She'd say, Jim, it's like it's in one ear and out the other. Nothing stuck. Well, she took care of that with the, with the belt pretty good. <laughs> but the punishment that comes to the, to the lost person in those days is far worse than any physical punishment that you could ever imagine. Without personal accountability for sin, without true repentance, without salvation, there's nothing to be looked for but, a, but an awful judgment to come. It's imperative that you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? With that the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape? How are you ever going to escape uh, the wrath of God? How are you ever going to get outside of his uh, realm, out of his influence, out of his authority? It's impossible. If you neglect salvation, there is nothing to be looked forward to but an awful longing, an awful urging for something greater, a hope that will not be fulfilled in your life unless you come to the point of salvation. Well, for the, at the end of this, for the saint, the race that we're called to run and the battles we may fight, they may get more and more difficult and challenging, but we must remain faithful and committed to the task that God has set before us. The real reward for faithful service lies not in this life, but in the next. And Spurgeon used the, uh, the, the little picture of how that the beginning of a thing uh, you know, is, is not to be compared to the, 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 the better is the end of a thing than the beginning. He talked about the, the little caterpillar, you know. You know, we talked about this. The little caterpillar goes along, does such a little insignificant thing. I remember when I was a kid watching the caterpillars, they'd go up on, the cacti uh, on, on milkweed plants. They like to feed on the milkweed. And they would get up on there and then and they would spin a cocoon and they form a chrysalis. And they hang, they hang from, the, from the bottom of a milkweed uh, leaf. And I took one one time, took one off, put it in a jar, <clears throat> and I had it in the house and I took it into the, uh, my, uh, for a science thing when I was in like third grade or something, a long time ago. And the, it, it hatched out into that beautiful monarch butterfly. You know, that little worm, and then that just nothing of a, you know, the cocoon and the chrysalis. And then when it burst out of that cocoon, it worked its wings, put it in the sun, and it worked its wings, and it flew away, that beautiful, beautiful butterfly. Well, we're like that worm now, like that caterpillar, compared to what we're going to receive in glory with God in that new resurrected body that Pastor talked about. But for the lost person, simply put, the beginning of life that you have now is going to be as good as you're ever going to get. The 
because the latter end of your life, the latter end of this existence in eternity is only going to be bitterness. It's going to be just poison and as poison and destruction. And you can't buy your way into heaven, nor can you buy your way out of hell. You'll never know true peace or joy without Christ. Remember, though, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Make the choice. Make the choice, lost person, to come to the Lord now, and you can know that wonderful, perfect end when you come to the end of this life, to come home to eternity to be with your God. Pastor Demo.